everyone. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and that you are getting ready for Christmas and the end of the semester. Uh, be sure to get on and do any makeup work that you feel like you need to that you feel like you need to do in order to uh, get credit this semester. If you have any questions, go ahead and reach out to me. Um, the Book of Ether, we're going to move through it uh, really quickly and in a little bit of a different fashion than the other books. We're not really going to go chapter by chapter. Um, a lot of the book can really be summarized by kind of the hot mess that is a dynasty of kings um, that refuse to repent and trust in the Lord. That's kind of it. Um, Moroni clearly sees in this book a way to reinforce Mormon's point in uh, the rest of the Book of Mormon. Uh, just like the Book of Mormon, the Book of Ether begins with destruction and uh, ends with destruction. And there are a lot of other parallels, including and especially things like the pride cycle, what we've talked about before. And uh, <clears throat> and Moroni, you know, this is a pretty truncated book that he's writing here. He covers about 30 generations in, uh, in only a handful of chapters. And but there's an urgency to it. You know, there's a point that he's making. Uh, very clearly to Latter-day Gentiles specifically. And I think that's a really cool um, note to make there that this book is not about Israelites. This is a, a book of scripture in our canon, in our standard works, that isn't about members of the house of Israel. These are pre-Israelites that uh, the Lord is still caring for, the Lord is still sending prophets to, he's still making covenants with. Uh, that That's a cool message in the Book of Mormon, and uh, Moroni is directing that message right at Latter-day Gentiles. This idea that Jesus is Lord over the whole earth, and <coughs> that he's all of our Savior. Um, I want to talk about the brother of Jared, today. So I'm not going to go kind of chapter by chapter, but I want to think about this this character, the brother of Jared. This shouldn't be too long of an episode. Um, right off the bat, we should, we should recognize something a little odd about the brother of Jared, and it's that he's called the brother of Jared. And um, it's not, I don't know if it's clear, maybe somebody has done some scholarly work on this or whatever, um, but I don't know if it's clear whether this is Moroni's choice or whether this was kind of in the original Book of Ether, um, the 24 plates that were translated by King Mosiah. But, <coughs> but it's, it's pretty consistent throughout here. And, uh, and whatever kind of later uh, church history, uh, folklore kind of is associated with the name, uh, the actual name of the brother of Jared. In the book, he's known as the brother of Jared. And I don't know if this was intended to, to do this, uh, but for me, one of the things that it does is it depersonalizes him as a figure. 
and it makes him somebody who we can kind of superimpose ourselves into this figure. Um, he doesn't have a name. He doesn't have that. We don't hear a lot about his personal identity or his characteristics or his personality or anything like that. He's just kind of there as a really kind of pivotal figure in moving his family away from uh, a destructive and unrepentant people to the promised land. And he does it uh, by faith and by revelation and by trusting in the Lord. And perhaps one of the things that we can take from that uh, is that we can impose ourselves onto the story and kind of imagine ourselves in the process maybe a little bit uh, easier and, and think, since we don't know who this guy is, uh, really, maybe we should consider how we would react to the different scenarios that he's facing. And so uh, that's something that, that I kind of have brought in the story. I don't know whether whether that's part of the intention of the author or not. Um, there is precedent for writing scripture like this. The book of John is kind of written like this, and the character of the beloved disciple who we associate with John Um uh, it might be there to kind of help us to imagine ourselves in that scenario. So uh, it's kind of a fun idea to think about uh, us as the brother of Jared throughout this, throughout this journey, okay? Uh, <coughs> now, the brother of Jared has some characteristics that we do know about. His brother trusts him in the middle of like a really chaotic, destructive moment in their society where not only big... Uh, Big physical destruction is happening, but there's also uh, communal destruction, right? Everybody has now been kind of cursed with different languages, which you can imagine how that would impact the unity of the society. And so Jared goes to his brother and says, hey, I know you're highly favored of the Lord. I need you to call out and, and help us. And um, so Jared trusts his brother. And, and the brother of Jared reaches out to the Lord and has this back and forth where Jared will ask the brother of Jared, hey, can you make an appeal to the Lord for us? He does it. Then Jared asks the brother of Jared, can you make an appeal for our friends? He does it. And then Jared asks the brother of Jared whether, we, whether they need to leave the area and how the Lord would guide them. And then he does that. And each time the Lord has compassion on this group of people, because of the prayers of the brother of Jared and his faith and, and relationship with the Lord. Um, <coughs> that kind of back and forth, back and forth, uh, we're going to see that pattern again. It's going to be a really important pattern we're going to focus on. And I think it's one of the things that the brother of Jared can really teach us about uh, trust and faith in the Lord and how the Lord can build us. So, after gathering up what they need, gathering up their friends, they head into the wilderness. They meet God there in the wilderness, and he, uh, the Lord is this cloud. And they don't see anything other than a cloud, and they hear this voice. And this voice guides them through the wilderness. And you can imagine this being kind of a bewildering experience, um, trusting in a cloud and, and the interaction that you're having with this cloud. Um, it's probably a little freaky, maybe a little bit mysterious. Um, but as with pretty much anything, humans are really adaptable and eventually it's, 
it seems that they've kind of become accustomed to it. Okay, just like the Israelites receiving manna every day in the wilderness, they kind of get used to it. And what was once a miraculous, really awe-inspiring evidence of the Lord's love and mercy, it all becomes really routine for them. And, um, and so, you know, as much as it might be hard for us to imagine a uh, talking cloud becoming routine, it seems like that's the case for them. And... Uh, <coughs> And after traveling through the wilderness, uh, they reach the seashore. And remember, they're supposed to be going to the promised land here. The Lord's making this promise that he's, he's going to carry them over to the promised land. And they hit the sea, and there's a very obvious problem, that there's an ocean in the way. And it doesn't say this in the scriptures, but we can imagine them really kind of putting some thought into how to get over this ocean really being stumped maybe there's disunity in the group people have a little doubt about their ability to do that whatever it might be they spend four years on this beach and it seems like they get a little comfortable there the urgency that they felt uh leaving the tower of babel and the destruction of the people that urgency is kind of lessened and and I kind of joke in class, you know, they're out there getting waves, they're sipping on their tropical drinks on the beach. Things are kind of easy there, and they have a tendency to relax a little bit. And after four years of this, the Lord comes to the brother of Jared, and this is in chapter 2, and it says <coughs> he rebukes him for three hours, chastises the brother of Jared. Okay, Remember, he's in this cloud. But he's being chastised, the brother Jared's being chastised for three hours for not calling upon the name of the Lord. And um, I love the specificity there. Three hours. There's such like a, there's such a human aspect to time. You know, I don't really imagine, I don't know how time works with God or if it doesn't, uh, you know, I don't. He, I imagine he's not bound by time in the same way that we are, but here's this cloud, this really kind of ethereal thing, and there's this bodiless voice that has power and majesty. Um, but then, you know, Moroni at least, if not, uh, if not, you know, Ether, who wrote this record, makes the note: it was three hours that this cloud the Lord in the clouds spent rebuking the brother of Jared, okay? Which had to have been an uncomfortable three hours. And uh, But at the end of it, they're ready to get to work. And they still have this problem, though. There's this ocean in the way. And, uh, and again, the Lord's solution is going to be a really human solution, right? Jared's got to build some boats. But before we move on to that, I want to make a note of something. So at the beginning of this process, uh, the brother of Jared, he has diminished in faith, at least in urgency. Maybe he's really comfortable with his faith. He's not calling upon the name of the Lord, okay? And uh, that, that on the scale of faith, that's a pretty low level, but it's a relatable level. I think it's something that a lot of people go through. Um, they get comfortable Maybe their prayers are less urgent, less frequent, maybe uh, really casual. 
And we can relate to the brother of Jared right here. The very next chapter, Jesus will say to him, uh, you have more faith than anybody I've ever seen. So our minds should be immediately trying to compare what happens when the brother of Jared doesn't have enough faith to be calling on the Lord frequently until the point where he's been told, you have more faith than anybody I've ever seen. What happens in between those two points okay, that, that causes the brother of Jared to go through this transformation? And are there lessons in there that we could apply to our own lives? That's really where we're going to focus here. Um, the short answer of this is that what happens in between kind of point A and point B is that Jared builds the brother of Jared and <coughs> and all of his people, they build these boats, these barges, and they're kind of weird barges. They built them before, but the Lord's commanded them, get to work, get build some barges, okay? This is the ocean, you're going to need a boats. So they build eight of these. You can imagine it takes kind of a long time, and over and over again, we're told they're tight like unto a dish. They're tight like unto a dish, okay? They're really kind of, they're watertight, and... um so the brother of Jared, all the people, they go through this, they build these barges, and, uh, and he comes back to the Lord and says, I've done what you've asked me to do, but there are some problems that we've run into. We can't figure them out. We don't have any light when we're inside of them. We can't steer these things. We don't know where we're going, and there's no way that we know how to steer these. And then we can't breathe when we're in them. Okay, these are significant problems, and uh, and I'm sure that there were other problems that they faced. You know, I'm sure someone might have got cut while uh, while building these barges. You might have gotten splinters and stuff like that. Brother Jared's not bringing those problems before the Lord. These problems are ones that they couldn't work out how to solve. So, light, steering, and air; those are the things. Okay. So the Lord says, okay, the last thing that you asked for, that's going to be the first thing that we deal with. You can, you can put light aside for a little bit. We'll take care of steering in a bit, but you really need to be able to breathe. So he tells him, you cut a hole in the top, you cut a hole in the bottom, make sure you can stop those holes so that water won't get in when you don't want it to, but that will be your source of air. Okay, pretty simple. Brother Jared goes and does it, comes back says, I did what you wanted me to do. I still don't have light. I still can't steer. And the Lord says, all right, I'll take care of steering. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. Okay. Um, but what do you want me to do about light? And I think that this is an interesting change of uh, pattern here. Before the Lord's given clear instructions, this is what you need to do. Um, and now he's asking the brother of Jared, what do you, what do you want me to do about this? And, uh, and I think we can learn a little bit about the Lord here and how he works for us. For the brother of Jared, his goal is to build these boats so he can get his family across this ocean. For the Lord, he's clearly more concerned about the brother of Jared and building the brother of Jared. He wants him to be as involved in the process as he can. 
um, because that kind of development of thinking for yourself combined with revelation, that's what the Lord needs from us, okay? So the brother of Jared, <coughs> he's got to figure out this light situation, and the Lord helps him out. He says, don't put windows in there. That's not going to work. Those are going to get bashed in, and you'll die. Don't light a fire either. It should be obvious, but that's not going to be how you do it. You're not going to light fires, okay? So anything else, though, you come up with, you can do it. And uh, so he gets to thinking, and I'm imagining him going through all these different options, maybe talking to other people about it, but he finally comes up with this plan and really goes for it. He kind of makes these clear rocks that he's going to bring before the Lord. He makes 16 of them. And I don't know how somebody makes clear rocks, but apparently the brother of Jared figured it out, how to melt down whatever sand and make kind of ancient glass or whatever. And so once he has this plan kind of figured out and he's followed through with it, then he carries these 16 rocks up onto this really high mountain and he puts them before the Lord. And you can tell he's really kind of, I don't know if he's like ashamed, but he certainly doesn't seem incredible, <clears throat> incredibly confident in his solution. Um, he's like, please don't be angry with me about my weakness. But you did say I could come up with something and you'd help me out. And so there's a lot of faith in the Lord here. There's maybe not a lot of confidence in himself. I don't know if I'm reading that right. That's kind of how I read his prayer in, uh, in chapter 3. Um, but his request is that the Lord touch these rocks and, um, and so the Lord does it. The Lord answers his prayer. He said, I, you know, I'll get your back if you come up with a good plan. And the, not only did the brother of Jared come up with a plan, he actually followed through with it before presenting it to the Lord. And so the Lord backed him because the Lord is faithful and he, he follows through on his promises. And he touches the rocks, but he does it in a way that surprises and even scares the brother of Jared. All of a sudden, out of this cloud, which the brother of Jared has become used to, he sees a hand appear and a finger touches these rocks. And so when the brother of Jared says, I want you to touch these rocks, he's probably not imagining a finger because he's really surprised by this finger, right? He's never seen the Lord. He, he doesn't have 2,000 years of Christian tradition telling him that the Lord has a body like us. Uh, you know, he comes from a people that thought that they could build a tower to get to heaven. So he probably had some kind of unclear ideas about what was going on, but all of a sudden there's a hand in front of him touching these rocks, and these rocks are glowing. Okay? Um, and he's freaked out, and the Lord says, why'd you fall down? Why are you scared? Get up. And Brother Jared says, well, I thought you were going to kill me. I thought I was going to be cursed or s smoted uh, because I saw the hand of the Lord and I didn't even know you had a hand. And the Lord says, did you see more than this? Now, at this point, the Brother Jared has some options. He could, he could say, you know, he's really freaked out. And, uh, and he could really back off from, uh, from, you know, he's got his glowing rocks. He could go down the mountain 
But the Lord, it seems, has opened the door a little bit for him, opened the veil. He said, Have you, did you see anything else? And Brother Jerry says, no, show thyself unto me. And that's the option that the Brother Jared chooses, which is pretty phenomenal because oftentimes in my life, I feel like there are, there are points when I know that I'm approaching something of like the Lord's presence, as in like I'm following the Holy Ghost, I'm, I've got momentum, um, maybe I'm, I'm even really close to, uh, to seeing miracles or whatever it might be that I'm pursuing. And then there's something in me that says, eh, that's maybe enough. Don't fly so close to the sun. And that's not what happens with the brother Jared. He says, show thyself unto me. I'm scared. I'm scared right now. I'm scared that you got a hand and that, that it appeared out of nowhere. I didn't expect it. But I want to see. And so the Lord asks him, uh, will you believe the words which I'll speak to you? And the brother Jared says, yes. I know you're a God of truth, that you cannot lie. Now, again, we're going to pause right here and ask, how did the brother of Jared come to this knowledge? This isn't a belief that, you know, I could say I know God's a God of truth that cannot lie. And there's some experience behind that, but there's also some belief behind that. But I get the sense that when the brother of Jared says it, it's a little different. I know. Yeah, before you even say what, what it is you're going to say, I'll believe you because I trust you. And how did the brother of Jared get to that point of trust? He tested the Lord over and over again. Okay, He, let, he, he followed a cloud through the wilderness. He, uh, he went stage by stage in building these barges that he, him and his family are going to sail across the world in. Um, each time consulting the Lord, each time following through with what the Lord commanded him to do and then returning and saying, hey, I've done it, but we got some more problems still. He's seen by experience that the Lord will guide him. And, uh, and now he knows that this person who he's in relationship with, this God he's in relationship with, he's a God of truth. That's the character of this God. Uh, and he won't lie. Now, that knowledge right there, by experience, is the thing that Moroni says, because of the faith of this man, and I would say even because of the knowledge of this man, he could not be kept from withholding within the veil, from beholding within the veil. He couldn't be kept from seeing the Lord. And so the Lord shows himself to the brother of Jared and says, do you see that you're created after my own image? This is, this is the body of my spirit. I'm going to take on flesh and blood one day. Um, and I'm going to come to earth, and, and this is what I'm going to look like. And uh, again, a really crazy, phenomenal revelation that we take for granted, that God became flesh. I, I imagine that that's something that never even crossed the brother Jared's mind up until this point, that God could become a human. Uh, he didn't even think God had a finger. But now this God who's been guiding him through the wilderness, who's been instructing him on this barge, he's going to become human. There's a lot to learn here for the brother of Jared. And, uh, and the Lord teaches him, shows him everything, shows him the whole plan because of this guy's faith. Okay, Now, that's a familiar story you might have even seen 
a cartoon of it or whatever, but I want to highlight some a pattern that we can see in this story that I think is really applicable. Uh, we start off in a really relevant space for us. He, Brother Jared doesn't really n- pray that often. He's getting comfortable. And, uh, and then he starts a dialogue with the Lord. The Lord gives him a command, a task to do. And, the brother, and it takes effort. It takes planning, but the brother of Jared does that task. Then he comes back and says, Lord, I did the task that you wanted me to do. But here are some problems that we still have. And then he talks about it with the Lord. And the Lord gives him a task. And he goes out and does it. And comes back and says, okay, I did it. Here are some problems that we still have. And the Lord says, well, what do you think we should do? So the brother of Jared goes out and makes a plan, does it, performs it first, and then presents the entire project to the Lord and says, this is what I came up with. Um, Here's what I'd like you to do. Notice how not only throughout the process is the brother of Jared getting more trust for the Lord, he's also getting more trust from the Lord to the point that the Lord wants his input. Okay, And it's only after that, that kind of personal involvement, that the brother Jared goes through all this effort to climb this high mountain, to set himself apart, to show the Lord he really cares about this presents his bag of rocks and says, this is what I came up with. Can you touch these and make them glow? And, uh, and the Lord does it. And right then we see that this was never about boats. Yeah, the boats get built. They get to the promised land. That's part of the plan. But this was never about boats for the Lord. This was always about the brother of Jared, bringing him back into his presence, redeeming him from the fall. And that's always what it's about for the Lord. It's never about the things, the impressions that we get. Um, you know, sometimes you might you might get an impression to, I don't know, we'll do like a typical primary answer, go like bake cookies for somebody and bring them to them, right? That might be your impression. It's not about the cookies, Cookies are cool, and people like cookies, especially if you're good at baking and things like that. People will feel loved. It's not about the cookies for the Lord. The Lord doesn't need you to make cookies. The Lord can can do that on his own if he really needed to. Okay, Jesus kind of demonstrates this when he's on the earth. He says, you think I, you think I need bread? Watch this. Okay, the Lord doesn't need you to make cookies. He doesn't need you to build boats. He doesn't need you... He doesn't need you to be able to make his plan move forward. But we need to be a part of the plan for us to be developed into the type of people that the Lord does need us to be. He needs thinking, feeling, committed disciples who have been built from the inside out. And this process, it probably won't look like being on a seashore waiting for the Lord to teach us how to build a boat. That's probably not going to be what it is for us. But we all have problems in our life that require guidance and revelation. And there are patterns here for going before the Lord. I would suggest bringing something to write with so that you can work out pretty clearly what he wants you to do and get something from him. Say, what do you need me to do today with respect to this problem or just in general? And the more specific, the better. 
and stay committed to that. Follow that through. Then come back. This is a really important part. Then come back and report to the Lord and say, I did what you wanted me to do. This is how it went. This is what I'm still struggling with. These are our obstacles still. And have that dialogue back and forth with the Lord. Um, and look, I don't think this story is in here so that we will feel like it doesn't have application to us. I think Moroni makes sure that this story is front and center, a feature of this book, because he says, because he sees in it some real application for us, a guide for us to go through a really sacred process of coming to know and trust the Lord and having the Lord come to trust us. In verse 7 of chapter 4, actually, I think Moroni makes this explicit. He's talking about our day here. He says, And in that day that they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did. And we've talked about the kind of pattern that he followed. That they may become sanctified in me. That's, from, that's being built from the inside out, being cleansed by our faith and by the grace of the Lord. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw even to the unfolding unto them all my revelations, saying, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth and all things that in them are. It's not about the cookies. It's not about, it's not even about the church. It's about the thing that the church allows us to develop within ourselves and within our relationship with the Lord. It's about the change that comes about in our heart by participating in things that have been revealed by the Lord and by being accountable to him and to each other, the love that grows there, the closeness, the trust, the humility, the capacity to believe and the capacity to receive all that the Lord has to give us. Um, that's when we think of the brother of Jared and we kind of impose ourselves onto that character and think about us going through this process. For me, right now, it doesn't look like building a boat. It looks like being a dad and teaching the gospel and having a calling. That's what it looks like for me. What does it look like for you? What are the problems that you're facing that you need to be taken before the Lord, working out how to hear the Lord how to feel what he wants you to do, following through with that, being accountable, going back, talking to him about it again, going through that process again and again and again, letting the Lord build your capacity to receive all that he has to give you. President Packer used to say, we are living beneath our privilege. The Lord wants to reveal everything to us. He doesn't just have a select few where he's like, I like those guys, but I don't want to talk to everybody else. He wants to reveal it all to us, and that's within our capacity and potential. In these really kind of messy times in life, those are opportunities for us to reach out past the Lord with urgency or toward the Lord with urgency and for him to reach back through us uh, and to let his plan unfold in our life and have us be participants in it. Um, we are his plan. We are the most sacred thing. For the Lord, He, uh, He, we are precious to Him, and uh, when we go to the temple, when we read our scriptures, when we take the sacrament, whatever it might be, 
All of those things are about teaching us how precious we are to the Lord and helping us build the capacity to realize our full potential and to be creatures of love and light and service um, for each other. And uh, I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.